Over the course of my presidency, our recovery has now created 7.9 million jobs. More jobs created over the first 14 months of any presidency than any term ever. Impeach! Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, it's a little right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis. St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And those are just our affiliates during the week. One of these days, we're going to do those weekend affiliates. (laughs) Also, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing, Planet Earth. Five exhausting days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, which we shall kick off with some good news today. Oh, good. On several fronts. Well, that uh, before we get to the bad news about how Republicans <laughs> are working hard to undermine free and fair elections in uh, in these United States before this year's midterm elections. But even there, as my guest today will explain, I think we've got some good news. OK, for voters in Arizona, at least uh, who have come up with a pretty great way to push back against the suppression. And uh, it's a way that uh, voters in other swing states with far-right state legislatures may want to pay attention to. So see, even amid the bad news, some good news. But let's start, yes, with some absolutely uh, good pieces of breaking news today, beginning with uh, some good news on COVID for a change, believe it or not. What? Yes, COVID hospitalizations are now at their lowest level since the U.S. began keeping records at the start of the pandemic. That according to an uh, an NBC analysis of data from the Department of Health and Human Services. Average hospitalizations fell to 16,760. I know it still sounds like a lot, but it is the lowest in the past two years. It is lower than the previous low of 16,808. So just below the previous low, which was set 
right before the Delta wave in June of last mm. year. And, uh, of course, you all recall what happened next when we were then slammed by Delta, followed by a triple slamming from Omicron. So let's just stay careful out there, shall we? And yes, please get your booster shots. Yes, this is not a reason to go around and start, you know, breathing on people and licking doorknobs and stuff. Oh, great. Now you tell me. (laughs) Uh, Since March of 2020, when HHS began recording hospitalizations, as many as 159,000 people have been hospitalized in a day with COVID, a peak that was set In January 20 of this year, less than three months ago, was the peak during the Omicron surge. On average, the country has reported 63,000 hospitalizations a day. In the past two weeks, hospitalizations have fallen by 32 percent. There's your good news. From an average of a little bit over uh, 24,000, now down to just over 16,000. So... Good news. Going in the right direction. COVID cases are declining. Cases, actual cases are declining as well to an average of 32,000 new cases a day, still higher than need be. But that's a 7 percent fall in the last two weeks. At the same time, the BA2 subvariant of Omicron became the dominant variant in the U.S. this past week. And yes, as we have noted, cases have started to rise again In some areas, it's unclear whether BA2 will, in fact, cause another wave. Some experts remain optimistic that it won't, but we will see. Vaccinations, meanwhile, have slowed to a trickle, unfortunately, but that could soon be uh, changed as children younger than five, the last vaccination ineligible group in the U.S., may soon be able to get their shots. So maybe some good news there uh, further toward the end of this scourge once and for all. You can help, of course, if you haven't gotten a booster shot in the past four months. If you haven't gotten any shot, I guess, in the past four months and you're over 50 years of age, you can go ahead and get another shot today. Dr. Anthony Fauci, Biden's chief medical advisor, said new antiviral treatments were keeping more infected people from seeking treatment during the Omicron era. Those interventions clearly work well to keep people out of the hospital, he said at a White House briefing last week, which is strange for him to be so happy about that, given he personally created the deadly virus (laughs) as a bioweapon to help enslave humanity and take over the world, as I have been told repeatedly on Fox News. So I just don't know who to believe at this point. Gosh, it's so difficult. More good news. America's employers extended a streak of robust hiring in March, adding 431,000 jobs in a sign of the economy's resilience under Joe Biden in the wake of last year's passage of his American Rescue Plan, which was passed by Democrats without any support from Republicans. The government's report on Friday showed that last month's job growth helped shrink the unemployment rate to 3.6 percent, the lowest rate since the pandemic erupted two years ago and just above the half century low of 3.5 percent. Despite the inflation surge, 
Persistent supply bottlenecks, damage from COVID-19, and now a war in Europe, employers have added at least 400,000 jobs for 11 straight months. In its report, the government also sharply revised up its estimate of hiring in January and February of this year by a combined 95,000 jobs. The March report sketched a bright picture of the job market with steady hiring and rising wages in many industries, according to AP. Average hourly pay has risen a strong 5.6% over the past 12 months. After years of, you know, virtually no rise in average hourly pay. So that is welcome news for employees across the economy as well. President Biden trumpeted the good news at the White House on Friday. Over the course of my presidency, our recovery has now created 7.9 million jobs. More jobs created over the first 14 months of any presidency in any term ever. And that's striking. But what's even more striking is this. In March, the unemployment rate fell to 3.6%, down from 6.4% when I took office about 15 months ago. The fastest decline in unemployment to start a president's term ever recorded. In fact, there have been only three months in the last 50 years where the unemployment rate in America is lower than it is now. And more and more Americans get jobs as they do. It's going to help ease the supply pressures we've seen. And that's good news for fighting inflation. It's good news for our economy. And it means that our economy has gone from being on the mend to being on the move. On the move, indeed. Across the economy, hiring gains were widespread over the past month. Restaurants and bars added 61,000 jobs. Retailers added almost 50,000 jobs. Manufacturers added 38,000 jobs. And hotels, 25,000. Construction jobs rose by 19,000 and have now returned to their pre-pandemic level. The job market continues to rebound with unexpected speed from the coronavirus recession. Job openings are at a near record and applications for unemployment benefits have dropped to near their lowest point since 1969. So remind me, why are Biden's approval ratings so low again? The uh, proportion of Americans who are either working or looking for work, the so-called labor force participation rate, that ticked up to 62.4% last month. That's the highest since the earliest days of the pandemic in March of 2020. Even so, the participation rate remains a full percentage point below It's pre-pandemic level. Again, that's the rate of people who are either working or looking for work. And because it's still a full percentage point lower than it was before the pandemic, that limits the pool of potential job applicants who employers can choose from. Why? Well, many Americans apparently remain on the sidelines because of a lingering health concerns and trouble finding child care. Karen Fichuk, the CEO of the staffing company Randstad North America, noted that the economy has now recorded and now has a record 1.7 job openings for every unemployed person. She said we need to attract people back into the workforce. In particular, she said businesses need to draw more women back 
for example, by offering flexible hours and child care centers or stipends for child care expenses, which, of course, is exactly what Joe Biden's Build Back Better legislation would have done had it not been killed by all 50 Republican senators and, yes, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who pretended he had to kill it because he was concerned about the economy when really he was concerned about his own personal pocketbook. Uh, nonetheless, the job market uh, continues to hurtle ahead. Employers posted a near record 11.3 million job opening positions in uh, in February. Nearly 4.4 million, uh, mil, 4.4 million Americans quit their jobs in a sign of confidence that they feel they could find something better. Speaking of which, there's this good news for the labor force. Many of those uh, who are staying in their jobs are, in fact, making them better. Workers at Amazon's massive warehouse on deep red Republican Staten Island in New York uh, voted by a wide margin to form a union, according to results that were released on Friday in a stunning win for a campaign targeting the country's second largest employer and one of the biggest victories for organized labor in a generation, according to the New York Times. Again, in deep red, Republican Staten Island, New York, where Donald Trump received 33 percent more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. So, you know, maybe just maybe. Republicans might want to rethink their anti-labor stance. Just a thought. I hope they don't. Amazon's uh, more than 8,300 workers at the building, the only Amazon fulfillment center in New York City, were eligible to vote in this election. Those in favor of unionization won by more than 10 percentage points, according to the National Labor Relations Board. I've seen some uh, news reporting that, oh, it was a very close race, but 10 points doesn't seem that close to me. No. According to the uh, according to the Times, the win on Staten Island could herald a new era for labor unions in the U.S., which saw the portion of workers in unions drop last year to 10.3 percent. That's the lowest rate in decades, despite widespread labor shortages and pockets of successful labor activity around the country. No union victory is bigger than the first win in the U.S. at Amazon, which many union leaders regard as an existential threat to labor standards across the economy because it touches so many industries and frequently dominates them, according to The New York Times. The Staten Island outcome comes on the heels of what is trending toward a narrow loss by the retail, wholesale and department store union at a large Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, where uh, workers there recently wrapped up their second vote for unionization after the National Labor Relations Board found the company had cheated during the first election, leading the NLRB to order a second election. The vote there in Alabama is reportedly close enough in this uh, do-over election that the results will not be known for several weeks, says contested ballots 
continue to be litigated. The surprising strength shown by unions in both locations, however, most likely means that Amazon will face years of labor pressure from independent worker groups, large unions targeting the company, and environmental and other progressive activists working with them. Gosh, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. As a recent string of union victories at Starbucks has shown, wins at one location can then provide encouragement at others. Amazon hired voraciously over the past two years and now has 1.6 million employees globally, but it's been plagued by high turnover for some reason because the working conditions there are so terrible And the pandemic gave employees a growing sense of power while fueling worries about their own workplace safety. While Amazon has yet to commit on the uh, I'm sorry, to comment on the uh, results of the union election in New York. Here's Chris Smalls, president of the Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island after the yes vote was announced. We want every other industry, every other uh, business to know that uh, things have changed. We're going we gonna to unionize. We're not going to quit our jobs anymore. And, uh, you know, this is a prime example of, of what, what the power that people have when they come together. Chris, what's your message to Amazon executives today after this victory? Oh, they're going to have to negotiate with their workers now. You know, my message is that now we have a, a union that they're going to have to collect a bargain with. There you go. Another election brought also by the Amazon Labor Union at a neighboring Staten Island facility is scheduled for late April. Yeah, and that uh, uh, Chris Smalls, who's the president of the Amazon Labor Union that just Mm -hmm. won, uh, Amazon smeared him and fired him and did all kinds of nasty things to try to squash him, and they failed. Nice. Uh, very happy about that. All right. One more piece of uh, a good bit of breaking news today, but I need to hold it till the end of today's show, uh, if time allows, as my guest is standing by with some potentially good news for Arizona voters and those like them around the country hoping to fight back against the rising autocratic tide of Republican voter suppression now sweeping the nation. With all this uh, good news, the Republicans just, you know, they can't just expect voters to vote for them without suppressing them, can they? Eric Kramer of Arizona Deserves Better on the Arizona for Fair Elections ballot initiative joins me next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Desi. The broadcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Arizona, take off your Yeah, we'll get to you, Arizona. Uh, Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I really, you know, I I really don't want to make anyone's head explode. There is a lot going on right now, obviously. But as uh, many folks have apparently yet to notice or perhaps would prefer to not notice, at least on the non-Republican side of the equation, this is... 
An election year. I know. Again. Uh, And it is another critical one at that, with control of both the U.S. House and Senate, among other things, on the line. And with it, the fate of Joe Biden's Democratic agenda for the ensuing two years thereafter in his first term of office. Traditionally, the party out of power, as you know, during midterm election years is in for a drubbing. And given low approval ratings right now for the president, that would not be a surprise this November. That said, given all that we've seen in recent years, there is no reason at all, in my opinion, to believe that conventional wisdom is always right. Which, no doubt, is just one reason that Republicans have been working so hard over the past year to pass laws to prevent Democratic-leaning voters from being able to cast a vote at all this year. Not to mention enacting laws allowing Republican legislatures, as they see fit, to replace election officials that they don't like. And even to reverse the results of elections that they don't like on a partisan whim. We've already been seeing the fruits of the anti-democracy voting measures enacted by GOP states over the past year. As we reported a week or two ago, following the first in the nation midterm primary elections this year in Texas, that state's new GOP voter suppression law already resulted in thousands of legitimate absentee ballots going uncounted, an average of nearly 15 percent of them across the state, according to an AP analysis, which reject which found that rejection rates were higher in densely populated Democratic areas than they were in Republican dominated counties, that nearly 15 percent mail in ballot rejection rate statewide in Texas compares to about a 2% rejection rate in their previous midterm election primaries back in 2018. Suppression accomplished in the increasingly purple state of Texas. Better news, at least for the moment anyway, in the swing state of Florida, where, as we reported on our previous broadcast, a federal judge has struck down key parts of that state's GOP-enacted voter suppression law, which has which was passed with the urging of presidential hopeful and Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who barely won his last election there a few years ago. The federal judge found much of the state's new law was designed to racially disenfranchise black voters in violation of both the Constitution and the Voting Rights Act and was so egregious that the judge declared the state of Florida would now be placed under the Voting Rights Act's preclearance regime for the next decade, requiring the state to uh, obtain approval for new voting laws from the U.S. Justice Department or a three-judge federal panel if they are able to demonstrate that those new laws will not have a disparate impact on minority voters. That is huge news, as that bail-in requirement for preclearance in the Voting Rights Act is rarely used. So... It's blockbuster news, in fact, as uh, Rick Hassan at UC Irvine described it on uh, on on Thursday, even as many election experts expect that the right wing 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and or the GOP's corrupt, packed and stolen U.S. Supreme Court are both likely to overturn the U.S. District Court judge and his thorough 288 page ruling on appeal with that Florida law that given the Supreme Court's utter disdain 
disdain for and, and piecemeal dismantling of the landmark Voting Rights Act over the past decade or so. And then, yes, there's Arizona, a critical state that turned fully, if barely, blue in 2020, voting for the Democrat in the presidential election for the first time in several decades, along with now two Democratic U.S. senators, even if one of them is Democratic obstructionist Kirsten Sinema. The state's non-obstructionist U.S. Senator Mark Kelly, who won his first term in a special election to fill the seat of the late John McCain in 2020, is now up for re-election for his first full term in 2022. And the state's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, is also facing re-election as Donald Trump and a bunch of angry uh, supporters of his hold Ducey responsible for not helping them to steal the 2020 presidential election in the state. But Ducey is trying to make amends. This past week, he signed a new voter suppression law in the state, HB 2492, that could prevent anywhere from 31,000 to as many as 200,000 voters, depending on who you believe, from easily casting a ballot in the governor or senator's race in 2022 or even the presidential contest in 2024. That in a state which, you'll recall, Joe Biden won by just about 10,000 votes back in 2020. No matter how many times and ways the GOP voter fraud fraudsters Cyber ninjas tried to pretend to recount the vote in their failed pretend post-election audit theater. Former Republican election lawyer and one-time chair of the Federal Election Commission under George Bush Sr. and attorney for John McCain during both of his presidential campaigns, Trevor Potter, who's now at the Campaign Legal Center, warns that HB 2492 will make it harder for tens of thousands of Arizonans to vote and that it knowingly violates federal law. It requires documentary proof of citizenship and a voter's place of birth before registering to vote, targeting naturalized American citizens, complicating voter registration and going beyond what federal courts have said is allowable under the law, according to Potter. He notes that in 2018, the Campaign Legal Center sued Arizona over its dual registration system, which placed voters on one of two lists. Those who could gather and pay for specific documents to prove their citizenship, they could vote in both state and federal elections. And those who did not submit proof of citizenship but were otherwise still eligible to vote, they could vote only in federal elections. HB 2492, he notes, takes it one step further, targeting those in the latter category, the federal only voters, by prohibiting them from using early voting or vote by mail options in any election and preventing them from voting in presidential elections at all. Essentially, these voters will only be able to vote for congressional candidates and can only vote in person on Election Day, says Potter. These new restrictions make the registration and voting process unnecessarily complicated, creating significant barriers for eligible voters and an administrative nightmare for election officials. Though I suspect that's the whole point. Even longtime registered voters, he notes, could now have to jump through hoops and incur costs just to prove that they are American citizens and cast a ballot. 
And again, this in a state that has barely turned blue of late and would probably still better be described as deep purple. In a midterm election year with an unpopular Democratic president for now in the White House, it could easily revert back to Arizona red, especially if a Republican voter suppression law like this is allowed to stand. The great Arizona voter purge rages on, writes Lori Roberts of the Arizona Republic this week, as our leaders continue their temper tantrum over Donald Trump's loss. This time, she notes, it appears they could be going after nearly 200,000 of Arizona's oldest voters, people who have been casting ballots in the state for 25 years or more. If you're registered to vote, she notes, in Arizona before October 1, 1996, and you haven't updated your driver's license or voter registration since then, you, too, are apparently suspect. In the eyes of the GOP-run Arizona legislature, that is. She notes it doesn't matter that legislative attorneys in both the House and the Senate warned our leaders that the bill is likely unconstitutional. It doesn't matter that the state will have to spend millions of dollars to defend it from the inevitable lawsuits. Doesn't even seem to matter that it may disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of longtime voters unless they can now prove that they are U.S. citizens. House Bill 2492 passed the House and Senate on party line votes and Governor Doug Ducey signed it this past Wednesday. Well, let the lawsuits begin at the cost of millions of dollars to Arizona taxpayers forced to defend the indefensible yet again. HB 2492, sadly, in Arizona is but one of a bevy of anti-voting laws that Republicans are still trying to push through their state legislature, even as we speak. But here's the potential good news. Some voters in Arizona believe they have figured out a way to push back on laws like HB 2492 and pretty much anything else that the right wing extremists and conspiracy mongers in the GOP state legislature there can dream up. Writing at Daily Coast recently, Eric A.Z. opened an article this way. Quote, Arizona's far right wing has gone absolutely bat crap crazy in its attack on voters. Eric used a different word, but you get the idea. But don't worry, he writes, with your help, we've got this. We are circulating petitions so voters will have a chance in November to enact the Arizona Fair Vote Act, which protects voting rights. Well, now, there's an idea. Eric A.Z. at Daily Coast is actually Eric Kramer. He's a former chair of the Navajo County Democrats who helped get more uh, more natives into public office and helped create fundraising methods that support organizers on the tribal lands of northeast Arizona. He is now one of the authors of the Arizona Fair Elections Act, which the group hopes to put onto the November ballot. He currently serves as the director of Arizona Deserves Better, one of the organizations supporting the initiative. Mr. Eric Kramer, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Good afternoon. It's good to talk to you. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, I want to hear very much here about your ballot initiative momentarily, but help me out on this HB 2492. It seems absolutely, uh, to quote someone I know, bat crap insane. How did we how did we even get to a place where Arizona has a list of registered voters who are allowed to vote in all races, state and federal, and another list allowing 
some voters to only vote in federal elections but not state elections. Well, Arizona is the only state in the union um, that requires proof of citizenship to vote. And there have been two exceptions to that. One, um, people that registered before 2004, and for some reason that's always been the exception. Those Mm -hmm. people's registration has never been questioned. And then there are people who don't have their papers with them uh, when they register, and they are given this federal-only status that was created by the federal courts Mm -hmm. because um, Arizona's law was more strict than allowed by federal law. So we have um, those two groups. Mm -hmm. Um, The legislature, in its wisdom, wanted to go after those federal-only people, Mm -hmm. uh, about 20,000 folks or so. Mm -hmm. But they did a really poor job of drafting their their law, and they accidentally attacked these perhaps 200,000 people who've been registered to vote for a long time. (laughs) Which is... Just amazing to me, because as I understand it, this sort of goes back, uh, and and correct me here if I'm wrong, but it sort of goes back to the Chris Kobach Papers, Please uh, law days when they were pushing in uh, in 2004. I actually think it was a ballot initiative back then that said that uh, citizenship papers were required for people who registered. But if you register via the federal form, there's sort of a generic federal form that allows you to register in, in all 50 states. That uh, you you have to attest that you are a a U.S. citizen if you use the federal form, but you don't actually have to supply the papers. And is that where uh, this also comes from, those people who filed via that federal form but then did not turn over actual papers? Those folks can only vote in federal elections, not state elections, uh, as the Supreme Court worked it out? That's correct. That's correct. So that group has always been a little disadvantaged. Uh But now the legislature has veered into attacking this other group. So I think we're very soon going to have pictures of of maybe older women in the newspapers who voted for FDR, (laughs) and now the Ducey is saying, show us your papers. It's really going to be a bizarre situation. Because when that happened, all of the folks prior to 2004 were supposed to have been grandfathered in, but this new law does away with with the grandfathering, right? So all of these people who were registered, who have voted in all elections for years, suddenly they're only going to be able to vote in 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 uh, federal-only elections? Uh, yeah, it it is very poor drafting. When you see the phrase, notwithstanding any other provision of law, uh-huh. um, it means that the the people that wrote the law didn't take the time to understand the law or or learn how to exactly draft it. So, by putting in that phrase, not um, notwithstanding any other provision of law, show us your papers. They wiped out the the protections for this other group. Wow! And now, has there been uh, Eric Kramer any problems with non citizens voting in Arizona that would actually require a law like this, or is this little more than another? thinly disguised uh, voter suppression tactic. It is absolutely voter suppression. You mentioned the cyber ninjas after all we went through, hauling these ballots for months back and forth through the chicken coops and pig pens at the state fairgrounds. (laughs) um, 
months of, of this and millions of dollars. Um, the only voter fraud case I know in Arizona is one woman uh, from Scottsdale who tried to cast a ballot for her dead mother, and she was caught. That ballot didn't didn't get in. It didn't mm-hmm. get counted. But um, we we have very very clean elections in Arizona. Uh, and was she a citizen? Oh yeah, the woman <laughs> was a citizen, and her mother was a citizen. But um, <laughs> just unfortunately, her mother had died before she she voted. So in this case, uh, this law wouldn't have, have even prevented that from happening. It sounds like I know there there's been about thirty one thousand federal only voters for some time in Arizona. They've been allowed to vote for, uh, you know, for members of Congress and the president. But now, according to the bill's author, again, I sort of have to check this with you, Eric, because this seems too amazing to to be true. But according to the bill's author, this is GOP state rep and uh, apparently conspiracy theorist Jake Hoffman. Federal voters on that list can uh, no more vote for president uh, as he sees it, as uh, the Republic's, uh, Arizona Republic's Lori Roberts reports, uh, such voters, quote, have no right to cast votes for president because the Constitution gives the state legislators the authority to decide how presidential electors are chosen. And now I guess he's saying the legislature is saying uh, we don't want anyone who hasn't you know, given their papers to even vote for president, uh, even though, as, as Lori Roberts points out, uh, that authority was actually uh, given by the legislature long ago to the voters to vote for president. Hoffman insists his bill is constitutional and will root out foreigners who seek to influence our elections. So... Those federal only voters, not only are they going to have to uh, uh, (laughs) prove their citizenship, they're going to have to they can't participate in early voting anymore. They have to vote on Election Day and they can't even vote for president. Is there any way that this can hold up even with our crazy right wing court system right now? Well, I, I think the fact that they messed up badly in drafting the legislation has has hurt them. They, they clearly knew this was unconstitutional, and they were hoping to get to the U.S. Supreme Court and get some big ruling that said, you know, the legislature is all-powerful and mm-hmm. can do whatever it wants. They could um, elect Donald Duck um, if, if he wasn't even on the ballot. Mm-hmm. But um, they, in messing this up entirely, you know, in just my personal opinion, they They've lost their chance to getting the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court has the right to pick which cases it's going to hear. And if they want a um, a vehicle for this um, super legislature theory that some of them support, they're not going to pick this mess because... Um, why wouldn't they start out with a clean, a clean bill to work with? <laughs> well, listen, this is, I think you're referring to the independent legislature's uh, doctrine, which uh, we now have at least four votes on the U.S. Supreme Court that believes the Constitution gives the right to the state legislature to do anything they want in elections, and state courts have no say in it, and state governors and state secret- secretaries of state have no uh, say in it. If the legislature decides it, that's what goes. So crossing our fingers, Eric, that you're right, that the uh, Supreme Court doesn't take this one up. 
But let's uh, turn to uh, something, po- you know, those of us voting rights advocates are, are seemingly on defense all around now against these uh, these suppression bills. You're uh, going on the offensive, so to speak, with the uh, Arizona for Fair Elections ballot initiative. You write at Daily Coast that, quote, the ballot initiative repeals some old voter suppression measures, gives Arizona one of the best voting laws in the U.S. and protects voters and the state's electoral votes into the future. It also reforms campaign finance and reduces the influence of lobbyists. Well, that sounds very good. What does this initiative actually do? And then we can talk about uh, how difficult it's going to be to get onto the ballot and and get it passed. Sure. Um, While we're on the subject of this uh, HB 2492, Mm -hmm. let's let's talk about what it does in in that particular regard. Mm -hmm. to work against this super legislature theory, or whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. the the bill requires that if the legislature is changing anything about the conduct of elections, they have to do it before January 1st of the election year. So they can't move the goalposts once the campaign starts. Mm-hmm. They can't come in at the uh, the last in- the final days mm-hmm. and say, well, we don't like who won, we're going to change the results. They, whatever, whatever change they make would have to happen at least a year in advance. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be so incredibly unpopular that they would all be voted out of office that November. So we think we have that one pretty well covered. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, when the voters adopt this voting rights initiative in November, um, it says that the existing statutes on voter registration are sufficient and nothing else that's added to them is valid. So it, it would throw all of this out um, the instant people voted for it in November. Well, well, actually, let me press you on that, Eric, because if this initiative says the current uh, registration requirements are sufficient. Won't that lock in place something like HB 2492 if it is not overturned uh, by the time your initiative is adopted? No, it, it's the current um, registration requirements as of essentially January 1st of this year. Gotcha. Okay. So anything that comes later is, is not mm-hmm. in agreement with that. Now, in Arizona, can the legislature overrule a popular ballot initiative like the one you're hoping to pass? They cannot. Um, they, um, the state constitution gives the, the people themselves more authority. So if you have an initiative law, it has, has more clout than the legislature. Hmm. They can... Um, if say if we clearly made a mistake, mm-hmm. they can amend the initiative, um, but only for what they call to further the purpose of the initiative, mm. and even that requires a uh, a three fourths vote of the legislature to do that. And as you mentioned, they're evenly split; they would never get three fourths vote on anything. Well, I, you know, I hope you're right on all of this, because with that independent legislature doctrine that we've been talking about and that, uh, again, four so far, four of the nine 
justices on the Supreme Court have actually come out in favor of. They only need one more vote. As I understand the argument that they're making there, uh, it's it's it, all the election laws will be up to the state legislatures, wherever they are, not the governors, as I said, not the secretaries of state, and even potentially not the people through uh, ballot initiatives. So I uh, I hope, uh, you know, e- even if the, the, the power has been given to the people in Arizona above and beyond the legislature, I, I hope that remains if that gets overturned, overturned at the Supreme Court. You write uh, in a follow-up piece, uh, Eric, that, at Daily Coast uh, with the headline. And you, by the way, you got a great knack for headlines. The joy of soon beating the U.S. Supreme Court on several voting rights issues is the headline. Uh, It begins this way. As the fight over voting rights heats up in Arizona, the grassroots are working to beat the U.S. Supreme Court on a couple couple of bitterly fought issues. It's fun to push back on Sam Alito and his anti-democracy mob. How, How does this measure result in beating the U.S. Supreme Court on several voting rights issues? Well... One of them is um, if you live in a remote area, maybe you're four hours from the county seat Mm -hmm. in some situations, and you want to take your ballot to turn it in, Mm -hmm. and you also want to take your neighbor's ballot Mm -hmm. to turn it in. Under the current law, that's a felony, just to have your neighbor's ballot sitting on your seat, your Mm -hmm. mail ballot, to get it turned in. So... The U.S. Supreme Court, um, in an opinion written by Justice Alito, uh, upheld that law. And um, so the initiative um, repeals that law, so there's nothing for for Justice Alito to to uphold. (laughs) So people will be able to help their neighbors get their ballots turned in. Nice. And I think it was at the Brnovich decision last, uh, I guess, at the end of, of last Supreme Court term when uh, Alito said, yes, this is discriminatory, but only a little bit. And since it's only a little bit discriminatory, that's OK. Is that the decision that you're talking about? Th- that was it. it it's, um, it's OK to discriminate against Native Americans if you don't do it too much. No. <laughs> that, that is just apprehensible. Yeah. Um, or reprehensible, I should say. Yeah. But um, another piece of that was um, if you voted in the wrong precinct, your ballot was thrown out and couldn't be counted. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very unevenly enforced in Arizona. Um, in many counties, um, you can vote in any precinct in your county. and But in some... Uh, you know, they have dozens and dozens of tiny little precincts, and you can only vote in the exact right one. But the initiative um, changes that and makes it uniform that in every county you can vote in any precinct in your county. We only have 15 counties in, in Arizona, so that's fairly broad. Mm-hmm. But the Navajo Nation um, covers three counties in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And under the initiative, these three counties or, or any group of counties would be able to enter into an intercounty agreement so that people from the reservation could vote in, in any one of those three counties. Mm. So we're, we're 
taking this pretty far. Yeah, and uh, you know, I hope that others uh, in other states are seeing what you guys are doing, or at least trying to do in Arizona, in pushing back on some of these laws with you know people's ballot initiatives like this. Uh, Eric, uh, what are what are your chances now of getting this uh, onto the November ballot? I know you're collecting uh, signatures now. And uh, how is that process going? Uh, and, and what do you see of the of, of the uh, chances for this ballot initiative if it does get on the ballot this year? We are going to get it done. Um, we need two hundred and forty three thousand signatures to mm-hmm. get it on the ballot, and um, we're currently collecting at more than twice the rate we need to get the mm. the two hundred forty three thousand. So we will end with them. Um, something like half a million signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, the fundraising has gone well. Uh, people from all over the country are supporting this, and uh, we, will, we will get it done. In addition to these um, places where we're kind of playing defense against what they've done to voters in the past, there's some where we're playing offense, where we have automatic voter registration, we have election day registration. We expand the periods for early voting, mm-hmm. um, and we do quite a lot to help Native American voters and especially disabled voters. We give them more opportunities to vote. Nice. So it is very a very good initiative. So that's all. That's there's a lot of stuff in that uh, Arizona for Fair Elections ballot initiative. This is uh, I see it uh, as as absolutely critical, Eric. That you guys get this passed. So I can't thank you enough for the work that you are doing with the group Arizona for Fair Elections. Uh, folks can get more information and support that effort at azfe.org. That's Arizona for Fair Elections, azfe.org. Do you guys have a, a, a Twitter handle, uh, by the way? Do you know? I'm sorry. I, I'm sure we do, but I, I don't know it. I had trouble finding it. So, uh, folks, you just go to azfe.org. Eric Kramer is the director of Arizona Deserves Better. You guys have a Twitter handle, don't you? Um, you don't know that one either, do you? All I'm right. sorry, I'm not a Twitter person. I guess I'm out of date for because on that one, I actually found two of them that I think might be you guys, but I don't want to give out the wrong one. Anyway, we'll just point everyone to azfe.org. And Eric, I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing on this uh, on this effort. If we can help out in any way, please let us know and uh, please keep us updated as uh, as things move forward. I think it's very exciting and I'm delighted to see the people pushing back on the bat crap insanity that is happening now from uh, from our courts and and unfortunately from the Republican Party. Eric Kramer, thanks for joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Very good to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. He, he's so polite, isn't he? <laughs> I know. For, but... for a guy who goes on the Daily Coast and talks about, you know, the bat crap crazy Republicans <laughs> and so forth. Indeed. But it's really nice to hear that there are people on the ground somewhere that are making those those things happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're, they're not just on the defensive. They're not just going to court, which is really important to fight all of these uh, voter suppression laws. Right. But trying to move the ball forward to prevent them from happening in the future, not just knocking down the current ones, but uh, preventing them from happening again as we move towards, oh, a somewhat important presidential election <laughs> in 2024, as I hear it. Yep. All right, quick break. I promised at the top of the show a little bit more good news. I will deliver on that promise, and I will deliver a song. No, I'm not going to sing, but, you know, <laughs> a song that you'll enjoy. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But, of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friends. Yes, your racist friends, like North Carolina Republican congressman and insurrection enthusiast Madison Cawthorn, who is, by the way, long known to have had a bit of a Hitler Nazi fetish as well. <laughs> Just a little. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. All right. In another uh, bit of good news on Friday, yes, somewhat related to uh, Cawthorn, as you'll see in a moment, the House passed a law that would finally decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. Won't fully legalize it, but it will decriminalize it. The House on Friday voted to decriminalize cannabis and allow for the expungement of some marijuana convictions. The bill passed the House 220 to 204. Just three Republicans joined all but two Democrats in passing the bill. Good news, though. The same bill was passed by the House back in 2020, and it was then stalled in the then Republican-controlled Senate. The legislation, even though the uh, Democrats now control the Senate, is likely to face an uphill battle again because uh, despite Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer championing the bill, it would still require at least 10 Republican votes to overcome a Senate filibuster, even if all Democrats support it, which, with Joe Manchin around, that is never a guarantee, even though the idea is wildly, wildly popular. So I would suggest any Democrats or Republicans who vote against this are nuts. A Gallup poll in November of last year had 68 percent of Americans supporting full legalization, not just decriminalization, full legaliz- legalization of marijuana. That's up 30 from 34 percent in 2001. So in the last 20 years, its support has doubled for legalization of marijuana. Again, not sure why any Republican or Democrat would be dumb enough to oppose it. But since we mentioned Madison Cawthorn, who recently upset his uh, GOP colleagues by suggesting that some of his GOP heroes in Congress, it turns out, have invited him to sex parties 
and apparently openly do, quote, key bumps of cocaine in front of him. Uh, Here was Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin arguing in favor of the cannabis bill in the House today. I concede our party is not for the kind of cocaine-fueled orgies that a freshman Republican representative (laughs) bragged about this week, but we do understand that their marijuana prohibition laws don't work for our people. (laughs) Oh, snap, Jamie Raskin. But anyway, with all of today's good news and uh, in dedication to Madison Cawthorn and his Nazi fetish, Let's get out today with a very quick song in uh, in his honor from the very polite Canadian comedian, Stuart Reynolds. Oh, hi. You're just the person I was looking for. Do you sometimes worry about making sure everyone likes you? You do? Well, I've got a song for you. It feels good to be liked by people. It makes you feel warm inside. But here's a little secret It's a thing that you can try Annoy a Nazi Rankle a racist Horrify a homophobe These are just the basics Bigots, despots, zealots The list will on it goes It's nice to be disliked by one of those That's pretty good. So, why not? Annoy a Nazi. Rankle a racist. Horrify a homophobe. These are just the basics. Transphobes and misogynists. The list well on it goes. It's nice to be disliked by one of those. Well, the way I see it, If you're pissing off a Nazi, you're doing something right. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I needed that. Thank you very much, Stuart Reynolds. Uh, Thanks as well to my producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Eric Kramer of the Arizona for Fair Elections initiative. You can get more information at azfe.org. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download all of them for free at bradblog.com, all of which everything we do here is made possible only by listeners like you, kind enough and polite enough to stop by bradblog.com <laughs> slash donate. Thank you. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at TheBradBlog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Annoy a Nazi. Rankle a racist. Horrify a homophobe. These are just the basics.